Hi everyone, welcome to the Product Marketing Life Podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance. I'm your host, Marcus Eaton, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I connect with PMMs all over the world about a product marketing topic of their choice. Today, I'm joined by Clayton Pritchard, former Head of Marketing at Prelay and Product Marketing Manager at LinkedIn. Clayton has accumulated a wealth of experience in his career so far, one that spans not just product marketing, but also sales and growth marketing. He's led a number of teams in his time at Prelay, laid the marketing foundation, including updating product messaging and positioning, establishing the marketing strategy, and testing organic and paid marketing channels. Clayton is currently exploring his next product marketing adventure and is available as a consultant for firms looking to bring in an outside perspective. Clayton and I explored how having a go-to-market playbook has helped him and his teams approach product releases and launches in a critical and practical way, spending less time on planning and more time on doing and driving results. Before I get into the episode, I've got some exciting news to share from the Product Marketing Alliance. Are you wondering how to align the product marketing function at your organization? Do your internal teams have little or no understanding of what product marketing is and the benefits you bring to the fore? Are you sick of being misunderstood? The Product Marketing Alliance's brand new book, Misunderstood, features first-hand knowledge, techniques, and case studies to help you demystify product marketing, elevate the function, and gain the recognition you and fellow PMMs deserve. Learn how to effectively communicate the value you bring to key processes such as positioning, personas, segmentation, OKRs, and game supplementary intel from the likes of Privy, G2, Hotjar, Intercom, Zendesk, Adobe, and Drift. Misunderstood is packed with takeaways that will propel the value of your role and the overall importance of the PMM function and isn't to be missed. Get your copy today at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. Get your copy at pmmalliance.co slash misunderstood. All right, with that out of the way, let's do it. Hey, Clayton, how's it going? Good, good, Mark. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Super excited to have you here today. Yeah, yeah. Happy to, happy to chat. Awesome. So let's get right into it then. Before we get into the meatier questions I have planned for our conversation, I think it'd be great if you could just give our listeners an overview of your career so far. Yeah, for sure. Um, so got my career started in growth marketing, uh, working in a marketing agency. First foray into tech uh, was on the ad sales team at Twitter. Uh, wanted to get back into marketing, joined a, a video conferencing startup, High Five as, as growth marketing manager, and eventually made my way um, into a product marketing world just because of my sort of passion for, for product engineering and sort of um, being connected on that side more than your, your average marketer. Um, Spent, uh, spent some time at, at LinkedIn on, on two product marketing teams there on the B2C side, one for SMB uh, owners and, and one actually on the trust and safety side of the things. And then um, most recently, I uh, was leading marketing at a sales tech startup called Prelay as head of marketing, first marketing hire and, and ninth employee. Um, and right now, I'm just spending some time looking for what's what's next for me, um, looking specifically for sort of a product marketing leader role, sort of keep digging, uh, digging in and that side of things. Awesome. And before we get into how you're exploring that next opportunity, I do want to ask yeah. you a follow up around that transition from being a growth uh, marketing manager to a product marketing manager. Obviously, the two roles are very close related, but there's also some key uh, differences in what a growth marketer does versus what a product marketing uh, yeah. manager does. So I'm curious through your own experiences, what were some of those major differences just to help, you know, our listeners understand what the differences are in case they're maybe considering 
the path of becoming a product marketing manager or potentially a growth marketing manager? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I'll start with what some things are similar. Um, I, I sort of think it's growth marketing as a rebrand of like sort of the go-to-market function. They're, they're very similar um, skill set. Um, one, growth marketing is generally the same sort of thing over time. Um, and go-to-market uh, tends to be, for at least on the part of marketing side, tends to be sort of that initial uh, launch and, and then probably passing it over to, to a growth marketer to sort of continue to manage from there. So that's um, where the skill sets overlap um, and a good way to sort of like make the transition in is focusing on go to market. Um, places where they're different um, is really sort of obviously thinking a lot about the messaging, positioning, pricing, the sort of core marketing things. Generally, as a growth marketer, you're not doing that. Um, you are, though, thinking about in ads, what is the right message that's going to resonate? You're doing A-B testing of, of sort of ad messaging, um, which can feed into the messaging and positioning. Um, so I think, like you said, there's a lot of similarities. I, for me, the way I sort of helped make the transition um, was actually getting involved in things on the PR side of the business, because with that, you're, you're figuring what's the story we're going to tell, even though I wasn't managing PR, I was working with the, an agency, sort of being involved there was helpful. And then the other piece was uh, working with uh, a product marketer um, as a uh, SEO consultant. So basically helping her to pair what we were thinking for messaging and positioning with the way that people actually search. Um, and, and that was sort of the way to start getting involved in and figuring out what is the messaging going to be on the site and, and made that transition. And then the last piece, like I said earlier, is just getting really connected with the product and engineering side of the business and, and building those relationships, having that passion and really understanding of the, of the product um, was super important. And, and honestly, when my when I made the transition, my manager said, um, as someone who is sort of C-suite within the company, I still knew more about the product, even though he was going to all of the higher level product or all higher level company meetings um, to understand strategy at a high level. I knew more of the day-to-day -day of the product than he did. And it was because of things I did outside of my role to, to really understand that. Thanks for sharing that. It's super helpful, I think, to illustrate exactly those differences as you did, and especially through your own journey, I think adds that additional personal layer. So I appreciate you sharing that. As you were speaking to what it highlighted for me, and I'm sure for some of our listeners as well, is I think as product marketers, we often do focus on that interdependency between product marketing and product and sales and support. But we sometimes lose sight of how influential product marketing is, even just within the marketing team. Like you mentioned several different marketing-oriented positions, whether it's SEO, whether it was PR, whether it was growth, that product marketing, if not had a direct handed influencing worked very closely with. So I, I like how you kind of frame those similarities and differences, because I think it really did highlight that. And I think that's certain in certain scenarios, a product marketer can lose sight of that because we often live within marketing. We just assume like, of course, everything I'm doing is being seen by the rest of the marketing team or is influencing the other uh, marketers on the team. But that's not always the case. You do have to work very closely and put out that effort to make sure that product marketing's efforts are being spread across the entire org, not just the, the partner teams that we work most closely with on the day-to-day. -day. Yeah, for sure. And I think you made a good point that on a lot of companies, because it sits on marketing, um, sort of that it becomes more natural, but it also feels uh, less like something that we need to put work into. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think we said, I think we sort of forget that piece, um, but it's definitely important where product marketing is the glue that sits between 
marketing, sales, product. Um, and so we focus a lot on all these of those other teams, which I think are, I think part of the reason is uh, product and sales um, sometimes can go off and do their thing without product marketing. Um, marketing tends to do less of that um, and, and sort of lean on, on product marketing to understand, hey, who should I be going after with this? Like, what's our audience? Uh, what sort of messaging? I'm trying to brainstorm those ideas. And so there's a, a little more, I think, interdependence um, sort of just in the way that the roles are on product marketing, whereas product absolutely could create products without product marketing. They wouldn't be as good um, and they, they wouldn't maybe find an audience um, after they're developed, but they technically could do it in sales, same sort of thing, uh, especially if they have their own sales enablement team on their own team, they, they could do things without product marketing. Um, of course, we know uh, when everybody's doing everything together, things are better. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why the team tends to focus more on those. But yeah, definitely can't lose sight of our own marketing folks um, and, and making sure we've got that good relationship there as well. For sure. It's almost like, as you said, without product marketing, sales and product kind of have this painter's glue, as it were, you know, like you would make a craft with, but product marketing acts as the super glue to keep all of those teams together and, and ensuring that they're putting the best product um, in the best possible way under the market. So yeah, I agree with you there. Awesome. So on this idea of kind of going out and doing your own thing, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're currently looking for your next product marketing opportunity, as you said, I'm curious, what sorts of things do you look for in an opportunity as you're exploring, um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit more information about that, I think it'd be super helpful. Yeah, so I think this comes right from the last question as well, um, is uh, that product-product marketing relationship is super important. Um, so making sure that there's a, a good relationship there, I think it comes down to ultimately um, that the company and, and product actually values the role of product marketing, um, in especially in the full product development and go-to-market process. Uh, I know some Product marketing team or product team, sorry, will will build something and then say, "Hey, product marketing, here's an audience. Go or here's a product. Sorry, go find the audience." And um, and obviously, as we know, you have to start with the audience for the product to be um, the best it can be, and also to be successful um, on the marketing front. Is if we already know who we're we're going to be going after when we build it. I also think it's important to think about the go to market process as part of the product development process. Um, so, so anyways, uh, I think those pieces, that relationship is super important. And the last piece being um, a really interesting product um, that's solving uh, a problem that, that I can actually sort of get up in the morning about. Uh, one way I like to say it is um, I want to be at a company that's making an impact and that I can make an impact. Um, and so those, those two pieces are, are sort of what I'm looking for and um, in, in the next role for sure. Yeah, I really like the way that you phrase that company where you can have an impact and the product or solution itself is having an impact. And, yeah. you know, I think as product marketers are earlier in the career, that's probably less of an importance because you can't always be as choosy. But as someone such as yourself who has more experience and who has spent some time in the role, um, I think it does afford you that flexibility, which is great. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've held a variety of product marketing positions at various companies myself and have definitely felt that extra layer of motivation and energy when working on a product that I know is making a direct impact on the people that are ultimately using it. Uh, so yeah, if those kinds of opportunities are out there for any of our listeners, obviously those are the ones that I would personally prioritize. Um, and it sounds like you're doing the same as well. So I'm uh, excited to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So you mentioned, you know, the 
in your response to kind of the similarities between a growth marketing manager and a product marketing manager, this idea of go to market, and then you brought it up again in your most recent answer. And obviously go to market is very critical to what a product marketer does. And that's really what the remainder of our, I think our conversation today is going to be about is really diving into go to market. Uh, it's an area that you mentioned you have quite a bit of experience in. So my first question is when it comes to your own approach to go to market, what sorts of factors do you consider when tiering or prioritizing a launch? Yeah, um, that's an important question. Um, so first, I before we even get to the go-to-market launch, um, the first one, I'd like to put together a tiering playbook um, so that it makes this discussion a lot easier. And, and this is sort of a living, breathing document uh, that we change over time. But basically, it's... Um, a tier one, right? What if our top, our biggest announcements launches, what is, what are we going to do for that? So likely that's all things at our disposal. Um, and uh, so at PR uh, ads, blogs, all, all these sort of things um, that we're doing here. Uh, but we don't want to do that for every launch because every launch, either one isn't important to the overall market or it's not important, really that important to us or our customers. Um, and so maybe we have a tier two, which is maybe it's all those things except the things that like cost money or it's um, everything except those that cost money or our PR. Um, and then tier three is basically just the bare minimum we need to do to get it out the door. Um, and so... Um, think of things like updating settings. Uh, we're probably not making a big deal out of this because it doesn't make a big impact, but we do want to actually tell people that it's impacted with. So we might send an email just to those that are going to be specifically impacted. Um, we probably will update the help center articles or, or something along those lines. We're likely not doing a blog post for them. Uh, maybe it's something where if we bundle a lot of things together, uh, we might add it to some sort of uh, blog post or, or announcement as one of the five things we're talking about or something along those lines. Um, so that's the cheering playbook. So I think talking about that and the way we even get to like, what tier is it? Um, I like to think about three main things. And I kind of already mentioned them. One is what's the importance to the overall market? So um, is this something that's actually unique or is it something that other competitors have had for, for a few years? Because press isn't going to care if you're the fifth person to, to make this feature. Um, they might care if you're the second, maybe the third, um, but unless you're a large company, they're generally only going to care if you're the first. Um, and so that's, that's the piece, like how important is this to the overall market? Um, and then second is like, how important is it to both current and prospective customers? Um, are they going to um, buy more? Are they going to um, churn less? Are they going to... Um, uh, become customers for those prospective customers. Is this something that's keeping people basically uh, from 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 buying in the first place? Is you don't have this, then obviously that's higher importance. So we want to make more noise about it. And then finally, how likely is it to actually impact company goals? So mainly revenue. If it, it sort of goes back to the last question as well around customers and prospects, but. All those things sort of dictate how much effort we basically want to put into it, which is really what the tiering playbook is all about, is uh, how much effort and time do we want to put into this versus other things. Um, and so um, that's something we have to gauge across all of them. I think it's it's marketing's job to, a product marketing job to understand those pieces. And ultimately, it's it's under our purview whether or not what, what tier we run up go to market at and if we run it at all. Um, and so we need to make sure that we are doing all of this work to understand that 
um, and then ultimately sharing obviously that with the, the overall team so everybody's aligned um, and we know what we're doing for, everyone knows what we're doing for the go to market. Yeah, there are two elements of that answer that I, I really want to dig a little bit deeper on because I, I find them quite insightful. So one is you mentioned, I think in your previous answer, that the earlier product marketing, specifically go-to-market can be involved in the product development phase, the better. And I think why that is so true is a lot of the things that you mentioned just now are going to be directly related to how product approaches the development of the solution itself. How important is it to the overall market? How important is it to the customers, either current or prospective? You know, what's the impact on company goals? And obviously product, you know, most of these days are, are agile in focus. So they are, have their own sets that are very similar of assessment tools to leverage that are aligned with that. But if you're at a startup or if you're at a company where historically, let's say the founder or CEO has had a lot of influence on the product roadmap, framing the development and prioritization of, of new features and solutions along the go-to-market prioritization, uh, you know, tool as, as you kind of outlined it, I think really helps product and product marketing get aligned and maintain that alignment throughout the development and ultimately go to market process. So I really like that approach. And then the other element that I think that you mentioned as well is you talked about having this playbook saves a lot of time and effort. And as a product marketer, we know that time is valuable. We are often very spread thin. Um, and you know, we, there's only so much effort to go around. So having this tiering playbook, even if, again, if you're a small company, just earlier on is going to help you save a lot of conversations, meetings, thinking around what should we do for this? What should we do for this upcoming next quarter? So, you know, when your time is so precious, you almost have to be proactive in thinking that way. And having that sort of playbook is, is definitely going to help in that regard. Yeah, for sure. It takes the discussion, like you said, with product from them asking about, are we doing press? Are we doing a blog? Are we doing this? Are we doing that? And it's like, it's a tier one. We all know what that means. Um, or it's a tier two. We all know what that means. And so that's what we're doing and we can share in it. It just, it speeds up that uh, conversation. It takes a lot of ambiguity and it just helps the overall um, relationship. And there may be a little bit of debate. Um, I, I sort of, sort of, uh, was acting like product marketing doesn't actually talk to, to the other teams when deciding this, um, what tier, but so there may be a little bit of debate where they feel like, Hey, it should be, um, higher than, than what product marketing is thinking about. Um, and so, but that's where you have the debate basically is at that tier level, as opposed to every individual tactic, um, that you're putting together. And so it, it makes it a lot easier and, uh, for people to, to get aligned. For sure. As much as we like to think product marketing can call all the shots and have total ownership of the decisions. Like you said, uh, that debate is, is not only, um, helpful and healthy, but it's necessary. So yeah, important to keep that in mind for sure. So diving a bit deeper into this go-to-market playbook, I'm curious you know, I'm sure this would change depending on the environment you find yourself in, but, and you mentioned some of these uh, moments ago, but what are some of the elements that make up that playbook? You know, does it change or evolve over time, depending on the solution of the audience, or is it pretty standard um, regardless? Yeah, it absolutely should change based on the audience. Um, for, for instance, if we're, we're building a feature that's more for customers um, and prospects aren't going to care, or we're launching something, um, then we have, we're going to have a different type of, of conversation channel or communication channel for that. Um, email is obviously going to be a lot more important. Uh, sort of these owned channels are going to be a lot more important for customers. Uh, paid channels are going to be a lot more important for prospects. And so we got, we got to understand that. 
Um, I think there's uh, there's cultural differences or just like audience differences as well. So again, sort of thinking B2B, generally it's in, in a lot of B2C, it's, it's email, but there's some where um, it may be you're, you're in a B2C context or you're in a um, country that doesn't use email as much. So maybe it's more text or, or something along those lines. Maybe there's sort of automated um, uh, social conversations and things that you're having as well. Um, and then also you're going to think about persona differences. Um, like where are they, where are they spending their time? Um, like also, like I was saying on social media. So is it a TikTok versus a Facebook versus a LinkedIn? Um, very different depending on what your business is and around who you are, who you're reaching out to. Um, and then, like I said before, it's, it's, um, it's based a lot on, um, changes that you make over time. Like the, the way that you're announcing things at the beginning when you're a small startup is very different from later as you get larger, as people start to, the market starts to pay more attention to you. Your, your awareness is higher. Your budget is higher. Um, you're absolutely not doing a billboard for every announcement when you're a startup and you're likely not going to get any press for anything that you're doing either um, other than maybe a funding announcement. And so those things are less important, but then as you get larger, the market starts to pay more attention to you. You've got more budget. You can do those sort of things as well. So this is definitely similar to your messaging and positioning docs that, that everybody has a living, breathing sort of playbook that changes over time for sure. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Clayton. I, I really like that idea of, again, you know, your playbook being much like your positioning and messaging, one of several living and breathing documents that has to change and evolve over time. And I think, you know, going back to your previous answer around the playbook, helping you prioritize your effort and save you time in the same way, almost that like reflective review of what's working and isn't working should be the same. I think oftentimes as product marketers, if we're not taking that proactive approach and reviewing what is and isn't working, we can get into the habit of, well, we'll just, you know, this is a tier one, this is a tier two. So we'll do what we always do for tier one and tier two. But you know, certain things might over time let resonate less with the audience. Maybe to your point, certain social media channels, we're just not seeing the same kind of behaviors or response rates that we would like to see. Uh, maybe because our customers are busy or because we're saying so much to them all the time, we're talking too much. And maybe we actually have to address uh, and adjust the number of channels that we're leveraging for a given launch. So having that, again, living and breathing mentality, I think opens you up to that, which ultimately again, saves you time, but helps you be that much more effective um, in the uh, message you're trying to, to put out into the market around that specific release or launch for sure. Again, looking at tactics more specifically, when you're evaluating potential tactics, what are some of the you know, early questions you would ask yourself or the team to help you make some of those selections? Yeah. So I shared a little bit of this earlier, but like, what's the, what's the goal that we're trying to, to accomplish here? Obviously we should always be starting with that, no matter what it is uh, that we're doing. What's the goal? Um, uh, who's the audience here? What's our timeline, our budget? So even if something actually is a tier one launch, sometimes we don't have the time to do, to do all of those things and we don't have the budget right now to, to do the things we want to do. And so uh, those are important um, or, or maybe they change. Uh, so they might change something into a tier two or sort of a modified uh, tier one. Um, and then like I shared before, sort of deciding on the tactics, even within um, tier one, if we have multiple audiences new, we have sort of different sort of tiering playbooks for those that um, that have different uh, tactics basically based on that. So for instance, 
if you're a marketplace, um, like when I was at, at LinkedIn, we were building a service marketplace. You've got the supply side of the marketplace, and then you've got the demand side of the marketplace, and they are, are different. Um, and then if you're um, maybe other things like an, an Uber or DoorDash, sort of thinking the same thing there, there's a lot of these sort of marketplaces that companies have, and, and they tend to be very different audiences because one, um, uh, is making money and one is spending money um, in the marketplace. Um, sometimes one's a business and the other's a consumer. Um, and so you've, you've got different audiences there and, and different ways to talk to them. So I think it's important to think about those pieces. Uh, the other thing that share sort of like generally you've got like owned channels, obviously, and you've got organic channels, uh, or sorry, um, paid channels. And so I think Obviously, that comes into account when you're thinking about budget, but it also is uh, sort of as we're the paid channels likely should be things that were our higher tiers because we're actually spending money on them. I think another one not to forget about is um, our sort of quote boots on the ground um, are a channel, the sales team, the support team, et cetera, that is a channel for the, the go to market. And so making sure that um, they're fully trained. Uh, they've got the resources they need. Uh, that's that is part of uh, of your go to market playbook as well. And so making sure that we're not just thinking about traditional marketing channels that the marketing team owns, but other things. I think another one is um, product is another channel, uh, whether that's in product promos, uh, a tooltip, um, or like I said, hopefully we're brought in early enough that we're um, in the product development that we're able to think about the. Um, go to market as part of product development and we're helping the product team to understand what is the flow that users usually are taking so that we can put this product in the right place. Um, we're getting the deep links that we need in, in order to run emails, all those sort of things that um, they may not be thinking about because they're, they're more focused on the functionality of, of the specific feature as opposed to how it uh, how we're going to actually tell people about it and drive the, the initial demand. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially on that last point. I think depending on the company, some product and product marketing teams can fall into the habit of, well, product will develop the solution, they'll put it in the product, and then it's on product marketing exclusively to ensure customers find out about it, right? And there's this element of, well, what's the actual discovery experience look like in product that can sometimes get missed? or gets realized a couple of weeks out from launch and development's already onto the next thing. So I, I really like that, that you kind of highlighted that because I think it is something that as product marketers, we have to think again, proactively about. And then in addition to some of the questions that you would ask, I think one thing that I might add to that as well is what other releases or features are happening mm -hmm. in and around the, the, you know, the release or feature that you're currently building to go to market for. Uh, I think as companies grow and, and more and more product teams, you know, are spun up and there are more and more features being released as product marketers. I think we kind of have to accept that again, our customers are busy. We can't keep shouting tier one releases at them all the time because eventually they, they turn off and they, they ignore us because we're shouting at them all the time about all these new, exciting things that, you know, we probably think are super exciting, but over time, it's just like, not everything you guys do is exciting. So cool. it. <laughs> Um, so I think it's important to ask, you know, in the context of this release, but also in the context of the other releases happening in around the same time, is this truly a tier one or a tier two or a tier three? Yeah. Could perhaps these releases be bundled? Um, and yeah. obviously, if you're working at a company the size of, you know, to use your example at one of your own workplaces, LinkedIn, that becomes more and more challenging because you've got those teams potentially 
spread out across the globe. Um, but for you know, teams that are, I think, are in that kind of like midi, medium size where there are multiple product teams working on various areas of the product, it's important for product marketing to be that connected tissue and to have that, again, in a 30,000 foot view to ensure that the thinking around go to market is a collective one and not just a one feature by feature approach. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think it also helps for not only to inundate the customers a little bit less but also to help paint the story. So I'll give two examples from LinkedIn. Um, one, when I was on the SMB slash service marketplace team, um, we had other teams that were building features for small businesses. So think of like the pages team, for instance, um, they've got updates that they've launched or are launching. And then we've got some on our side uh, bundling those together, talking about how they actually work together um, and coming to the market with one message uh, helps it to sort of paint that story. And then um, same on the trust and safety side of the business, there were generally um, features that were not on their own going to really be a big announcement, especially because trust and safety, even if it's maybe you're doing something that the market's not doing, the, the end users still think, oh, you, sh you should be doing that. Um, whatever, whatever it is, uh, that should be done anyways. And so why are you making maybe as big of a deal about it? So it's really important to paint that story and using multiple a lot, multiple features that are sort of launching around the same time. Maybe, one, maybe some have already launched, but you never talked about them that much. Uh, pulling them into that blog post or that press release it's just going to get it give it a little bit more of an oomph so you've got more to talk about but then like i said it, it helps to paint that story for your customers prospects the market to understand how does all this fit together uh, especially if there's some things that maybe don't inherently go um, in lockstep together but ultimately are trying to solve similar or related problems for your customers Totally. Yeah, I love that approach, especially the uh, idea of pulling in past releases that might help you build that bigger story, even if they were released several months, quarters ago. Yeah. And again, one of the benefits of product and product marketing working so closely, especially on the go-to-market, is you can plan quarters in advance what those stories are going to look like. Um, so it gives you, that, again, that proactive and kind of forward-looking view. So you're not just constantly reacting to the feature that's happening a month from now, two months from now, a couple of weeks from now even depending on where you find yourself. Um, so yeah, I, I really love that perspective. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. And I, so, I was going to say like on the, on the timeline specifically, one thing um, is that I, I think is maybe a little bit of a hot take. Um, I don't like product marketing sort of dictating when are we going to the timelines for things because product and engineering um, this isn't sort of a knock on them. It's just, it's harder for them. I think sometimes to actually put in the timeline, how long things are going to work. And so inevitably I would say more than half the time, uh, they're not going to hit the original timelines. And so if we start to build a go to market based on that original timeline, um, we might have a problem, especially if we say, when I was at High Five, we announced a feature when it was still in beta, and then we found all these bugs, and it took another three, six months for, for the feature to actually come out of the beta, and we had upset customers who were sort of hearing about, well, I, I was told six months ago that this was going to come. And so we started to do uh, more where we would finish the product, um, and then we'd hold it for two weeks as we put together the or we already had the go to market plan, but basically, especially for something that we're going to put do press around, 
wanted to uh, give two weeks for the, that pitching and for, for press to write about it. And so um, holding it a little bit, uh, even though we could have launched it earlier so that we could do a really successful go-to-market, we did get multiple articles written about that specific feature, which was helpful. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I know we have to do it sometimes, but I, I also hate uh, tagging it, not only to sort of internal dates, but external dates like industry conferences. We want to announce this there. Um, multiple times I've had where we and now we're announcing it, showing it to uh, press and analysts, but it was a hacked together solution because it wasn't really done yet. Um, and so as much as we can, not having sort of these artificial dates dictating engineering and product um, when we're putting together those timelines, obviously we still need to know what their expected date is so that we have a go-to-market ready in case we actually hit that. But I think it's important that product marketing be really flexible because those, those teams, um, it's a lot harder for them to sort of understand how long things are going to take because inevitably a bug comes up or, or something is longer than they, they thought it was going to be, or, or somebody just takes time and, Hey, that's, we should, we should give them that time off. Um, and it may end up impacting the, the ship date. So, um, product marketing should not as much as possible dictate, uh, on, on launch dates. For sure. And I, whenever I see large, especially tech companies release, for example, their kind of product roadmap for the next six to 12 months, I always think to myself like, wow, that's, that's brave. You must have like <laughs> really, really, really strong confidence in, in being able to hit those timelines. And I would imagine at companies of those scales, or at least the ones that I've seen that have done that, they've probably got the feature ready to go for months. And it's just a matter of, you know, turning the switch to make it available to everybody so they can be that confident, but yeah, it's a, it's a bold, it's a bold move. You, as, as an organization, um, you have to be confident that you're going to hit those timelines and you're right. Product marketing needs to have that flexibility in the scenario that those timelines might not necessarily be met. Um, which is again, as you said, not a knock on our friends over in product at all. Technology is challenging, um, for the people using it and for the people building it. So, uh, definitely got to be able to be flexible in that regard. Yeah, for sure. So on that idea of being flexible, I'm curious then have you ever had a go-to-market launch that you felt, you know, was planned and prepared for really well, but didn't go exactly as you would hope? Maybe it went better than you would hope. Maybe it went a little bit uh, not as well as you would hope. I'm curious if you're able to share a bit of a story there. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I wish a go-to-market had ever been a lot better than expected. That's obviously uh, would be awesome. So generally that's, that's not it. Um, I think I've had I've had some that have sort of met my expectations, but not met management expectations, which I think is probably common. Right? Um, there's other or product expectations where they think, like we sort of mentioned earlier, this feature is huge. The market's going to love it, and um, understanding the market um, and sort of the end users, the press, all that sort of stuff a little bit better. Um, I'm pretty skeptical and try to set those expectations. Um, but, uh, sometimes they aren't, so that it doesn't end up meeting their expectations. Um, I think another one is, um, sort of like I shared before product wasn't built enough, um, sort of to drive that successful launch. So maybe we got the press articles, but it wasn't uh, ready really for customers to, to do it. I think another piece here is uh, an idea that we had at, at LinkedIn that I really liked is you, a product has their MVP and uh, marketing uh, needs to have an MMP, a minimally marketable product. Um, so it's, hey, it's still got bugs or it doesn't really have a clear um, onboarding experience. It's hard for people to find it. 
Um, the feature set is too limited for, for people to find real value. It's fine that we launch that maybe in a beta or, or MVP status, um, but we don't want to do a go-to-market at that point because we don't want to actually spend money or effort driving people to this subpar experience where they maybe are going to churn and, and never come back again. And so um, that's, uh, that's an ex experience I've had before. And I, I try to try to not have again. Um, and, and sort of the other piece, um, which I think uh, tends to go back more to what I was talking about with the management expectations is that um, sometimes like media just doesn't care. We think they're going to write all these articles um, about a feature that we're launching and we're either not big enough or our feature's not big enough. Um, and so we don't end up getting that. So I think my, my two cents there is try to undersell um, the possibilities and, and hopefully overperform, which is true, I think, in, in all capacities, um, especially when trying to manage up um, or, or, or manage um, across to, to other uh, cross-functional partners is that we, we maybe set our own big lofty internal goals, um, but we know when we're setting those big goals, we may not be able to hit them and we're okay with that. But if we sell those goals to, to other people, um, ends up sort of having a, a miss on expectations that we set with them. And so trying to set expectations, I wouldn't say low, uh, but, but uh, a little bit easier. And then hopefully um, we come out on top and we, we drive way more signups through our email campaigns. We get more press than we thought we were going to, um, all of those sort of things, because uh, we didn't oversell it um, the first time around. Yes, always better to underpromise, overdeliver in that regard. It's always a much easier conversation to have after the fact, uh, definitely. Uh, so, you know, we started off this conversation about exploring, you know, your career as I do with all my guests and kind of where you are today and what you're looking for in your next opportunity. And in preparing for our conversation today, I, I saw that on LinkedIn that you're, you know, exploring in between roles some freelance consulting work. So, on the topic of go to market from a freelancer perspective, I'm curious how that approach might change based on whether or not you're actually embedded within the organization or acting as a freelancer on the outside. Yeah, I think um, at a as a consultant, it's it's harder for sure because you have generally less of the knowledge before you go. Right, the ramp up period is a lot harder, a lot shorter. Um, and so you've maybe got to make more gut assessments. You've got to lean more on the um, understanding that the company already has as opposed to likely not doing your own um, research um, and those sort of things. So you're, you're basing it based on, on sort of understand company knowledge already. Um, if you can have sort of a longer relationship, right? If you're a, um, a full-time freelance consultant, uh, obviously, you can build up that uh, knowledge over time and, and basically act as a member of the team. We we essentially had this actually when I was at uh, High Five before I transitioned into the product marketing role. We had somebody who was doing like two or three days a week um, as a as a product marketer for us over a, over a year plus time. Um, and so that that ended up being where she was basically just an extension of the team where we um, only had her a few days of the week. And so that. Um, that's a little bit different if you're on sort of more of a traditional consulting on sort of project base, uh, you're going to have a harder time sort of ramping up um, and going from there. I think it's easier um, to do something like growth marketing because there's less of that uh, 
knowledge, pre-knowledge that you have to know, right? You really all you need. It's the same as growth marketing in, in-house. Hey, a product marketer or uh, whoever, give me the audience, give me the messaging, and I can put that, I can take that and I can put that into an ad or an email or uh, SEO or whatever it might be. Um, and so it's a lot easier to get up and running. And then you're also driving results immediately. Whereas product marketing, again, you got to put together the plan and it, that all takes more time as, um, so you don't, you're not seeing those quick wins, which can uh, be difficult. I think also for some clients where they're expecting something to, they're expecting to hire somebody and you do it in a week or so. And so uh, again, it's important setting those expectations that uh, all this is, is going to take time so that you have a happy customer at the end as well. For sure. Yeah. So for any product marketer looking to take on maybe some freelance work or some consulting work uh, as a side hustle, or maybe as a primary uh, job, any prospective client that says, oh, I need results to your point in, in a week or two, probably a big red flag, probably not one you, uh, a relationship or engagement you'd want to pursue further. So yeah, I definitely agree with you there and think that's helpful context to set. Yeah, I think it's the same when you're even maybe interviewing for a full-time role, right? There's there's red flags um, if somebody's telling you um, that they have quick turnarounds and and things where where you're gonna only going to have maybe a couple of weeks. They might not say it exactly like that, but you can sort of get the the idea. I think that's another piece that um, if you have the ability to have, look at other options, probably try to try to look at other options that are going to give you the time to actually be successful uh, in the role for sure. Yeah. And, and to your earlier point around, again, product marketing and then go to market, uh, you know, approach being brought in as early into the product development cycle as possible. One thing you could potentially ask prospective employer is exactly that. How early is product marketing brought into the process? What does that handoff look like? Are we talking about, Hey, the future's ready to go. And then product marketing is briefed and they're given, you know, a couple of weeks to a month to put a plan together. Is it know they're brought in from the beginning. And that can be, uh, again, uh, again, another way for you to kind of uncover how much time is a product marketer actually be given to, to drive impact. So yeah, I definitely think that's important to keep in mind when you're exploring opportunities for sure. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Clayton. I, you know, I, I'm a big uh, nerd when it comes to all things go to market. It's my current focus in my current role. So I'm sure I can keep talking to you for quite some time about this, but we do have to end here. Uh, but before I let you go, I will ask you my last question, which is a question I ask um, all of my guests. And that's if you could be a product marketer at any company in the world for any product or service they offer, what company would you choose and why? Um, so I'll maybe reiterate first um, the important characteristics because I think there's a lot of companies that I would choose and then and then I won't um, I won't sort of take the, the easy way out I will give an answer but yeah I think again it's someplace where there's a great product product marketing relationship is super important that values product marketing um, as a, a role that's part of the development process um, I really think, Honestly, we need to change the EPD to EPDM. Uh, we need to have engineering, product design, and marketing are they're the core product development team um, altogether. Um, so a company that sort of, um, if they aren't sort of going that far to, to changing the nomenclature, they at least uh, act and feel that way um, is definitely important. And then, like I said, uh, a product solving a problem that's interesting, a product that I can get excited about um, are, are all what I'm looking for there. And so I think like if I had to choose um, thinking like I'm a big uh, Google hardware guy, I have a Pixel phone, uh, Nest speakers, uh, the Nest Hub 
um, all that good stuff. And so I think um, that would be a fun one. It, it at least tacks the, the list of interesting uh, product and the product I'm excited about. I obviously don't know what the, uh, the working inner workings of that product product marketing team are like. Um, I think the other thing is they're, they're definitely making more of an investment on the marketing side. They're getting better, I think, with product marketing versus sort of the old Nexus phone days that were very much um, a feature dump uh, which maybe, honestly, that was kind of what the audience at the time was wanting. It was more sort of developer new um, focus, but now trying to go after more of a mass market being more benefit focused um, and a little bit more, um, I would say, maybe Apple-like, right? Where Apple um, has, they focus on the benefits. They never tell you how many megapixels are in the camera or any of those sort of things. Um, so I think that uh, would be interesting. Something, like I said, that um, I use every day and I'm excited about would be fun. Yeah, I can't argue with that choice. I mean, like you said, Google and Apple are kind of the stalwarts of the the tech space for good and for bad reasons. But uh, definitely, you can't argue that their products are, are quite impressive. And as a product marketer, for sure, it would be a dream to to work on any of the ones that you mentioned or any part of Google, really. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Well, thanks for your time today, Clayton. You know, I really enjoyed our chat. As I said earlier, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, uh, whether it's ex explore opportunities potentially to bring you on um, within their product marketing team uh, or for a consulting opportunity, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, so LinkedIn's a great way. I've got open messaging um, with LinkedIn Premium, so you can always message me there. And it's just uh, obviously linkedin.com slash IN slash Clayton Pritchard, um, or you can just search Clayton Pritchard. Um, pretty easy to find. Uh, I've also got good SEO, so you could always uh, just search my name on Google. Um, and then my website, uh, claytonpritchard.com, uh, resume, writing samples, et cetera, there. And also my LinkedIn's linked there. Um, and then sort of unwork related, really. But if you're a foodie, um, I do have a foodie Instagram page at the Boba Nerd. Um, so feel free to follow me there, especially if you're in the Bay Area and you like uh, Boba, of course, and, and other foods. Um, I love trying new places and I'm posting pictures and my reviews there. Yeah, I, I actually took a peek at that before we we uh, connected today, and I can attest to the fact that if you're someone who likes very well taken photos of food, or you're a foodie, much like Clayton is, it's definitely worth a follow. So I will I will shout you out there as well as of course check him out on LinkedIn and on his website. And again, if you're interested in looking for your next product marketing hire, or if you want to work with Clayton on a uh, consulting basis. That's it, Clayton. I'll let you go again. Thanks so much for your time today. I really enjoyed our chat, and I'm sure we will be in touch again in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Great chatting today. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to sponsor an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are.